Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. The reading is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Amen. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. Today is our last day in our series that we've been in for months looking at how to live lives of faith in fearful times. Even though Hebrews 11 has been our focus this entire time, it's only today's text, Hebrews 12, where the full ramifications of the author's argument come to light. The first word in our text is the word therefore, where he's summarizing 
all the great people that he uh, brought up in Hebrews 11, the people of faith, of valor, of all the deeds, and he's contrasting them with all the hurts and the hardships and and the cares of this world. And he's going to show us how we too today can have and live lives of um, faith in hard times. And these are hard times. Uh, stress is up. Anxiety is up. You have dissatisfaction with our leaders is up. What is going to get us through this? What ultimately is going to make our lives matter and bring meaning and purpose to our lives? Particularly when so much that we threw ourselves in the past, that's gone now. And if we do it again in the future, it can be taken away. See, whether you're a Christian here today or not a Christian here today, this passage answers those questions. And the key to understanding it, the interpretive theme of the next 12 verses is exercise. It's physical activity. Look in verse 1. It talks about running the race. Look at verse 3. Endure, uh, not grow weary. Verse 4, struggle. Verses 5 through 10, discipline. Verse 11 is about being trained up. And so what the author is trying to get at is that difficulties and suffering and trials in this life should be treated as if we're in the gym. And that's actually kind of a hard statement. That is a startling statement for secular people, suffering has no purpose. There is no greater meaning. If there's any running happening, you're running away from suffering and hurt. You're not running to it or through it like this writer is insinuating. And yet at the same time, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because God is not someone who likes and wants suffering. Why else would did Jesus suffer and die himself? The main theme, the defining theme of Christianity is about ending suffering and death, right? God does not want it. He, uh, it is not okay. He doesn't desire for this world to have disease and hurt in it. However, God being who he is, that this text is saying for the Christian, for the person who has uh, real genuine faith in him, he can take suffering and uses it in your life to make you way better than you would have been without in the first place. And that's an amazing claim that we need to study and look at today. So let's look at this text in three parts. What to do in the gym, what uh, to not do in the gym, and um, how to do this well. So let's let's actually start with what not to do in the gym, what to do in the gym, and then uh, how to do this well. So first, what not to do in the gym. And you're like, wait a second, wait a second, back up. Where is this gym analogy in this text? I think, Michael, you know, you've been, it's been four months in the pandemic. You haven't been to a gym in four months. You might be projecting a little bit of yourself here. And uh, that might be true, except if you look in verse 11, the word to train is actually the Greek word, Greek word gymnasio. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a whole sermon where he points this out, that the word gymnasio here literally means to exercise. And then when you combine that, with the, the first verse, there's the word race here. It's the word agon in Greek, where we get the word agonizing because races made by the Greeks were agonizing. Think the marathon. These were hard things to do. And so what the writer is saying is life is hard. But the way the Christian needs to think about it is as if he or she is going to the gym. 
Now, personally, I need to confess here, uh, I haven't been to a lot of gyms in my life. When I have gone to gyms, sometimes friends actually tell me that you can uh, do a lot of hurt there. There's a lot of things not to do at a gym. Years ago, when I was living in Boston, some friends and I would often go to the local gym in South Boston. And there, there was a lot of longtime lifters. And when I would go in there, they looked at me like I was crazy. And the part of the reason why is because I had no idea what I was doing. I would do these exercises and I would pull these weights and I'd get myself hurt regularly. And even if I had friends that had plans that they were trying to execute on, I didn't because I lacked the necessary discipline. This lack of knowing how to respond and read the objects of stress very literally that were in front of me made things worse and not better. And so before you go into a gym, you first have to know what not to do. So let's go through some here. Number one, in this gym, don't forget who's in there with you. That's number one. See, verse five says you need to know that in this gym is not a coach. It's not an instructor. We're told here that we have a father, one who is there with encouragement. And this matters because if you go to a gym who, with someone who you don't think has your best interest in mind, they might be there to punish you. They might in, inadvertently, you know, maybe not because they're trying to, but they might end up hurting you. But we are to think of the person with us as a father, one who knows exactly what to give us and doesn't give us anything more or less. Everything that he gives, we can handle. That's what verse five is getting at. That way we don't lose heart. And when the going gets tough. Now, the word discipline shows up a lot in our text, and that's a dirty word for some New Yorkers. Um, It's the Greek word paideia, where we get the word pediatrics. My wife is a a pediatric nurse practitioner, which means she cares about the health of children. But paideia here means this is specifically talking about flourishing a father would want for his or her child, for for, for a child. And so this is less about punishment and more about thriving. And I know kids get confused between the two because there's been times when I've asked my children to exercise, to go on walks, to use their bodies, and they think I'm trying to punish them when I'm actually trying to help them thrive. Or put in reverse, if a child is an intemperate individual, for me to let that continue on in them is actually a lack of discipline in myself. Right? If, if, if a kid has a bad temper, the worst thing that I could do would be to let it continue. I need to actually apply myself so that person, so that child does not become an intemperate person as they get older. So exercises here are, not, are, are things that might feel like they hurt, but they actually help. This is not destructive. This is constructive exercise. And so you have to ask, the first thing you need to ask is, in the gym of life, who's in there with you? Who's in there? Because we're told here it's a loving father. And as a father myself, at some level, I'm always messing up my kids. I'm either under-disciplining or over-disciplining. I'm either neglecting or embellishing. I'm either over-correcting or under-correcting. That's what happens to as a father. But we're told here this is a heavenly father, which means he is perfectly applying just the right amount of discipline needed. And what's hard for us often is that the hurts that do come into our life we have a hard time thinking that those, those might actually be exercises preparing us for the next one. But that's why it says in verse 7, we need to endure 
these hardships stand up under the stresses. And you can only really do that if you knew that you have a heavenly father along your along with along with you, like a child with a child. Because if you don't have that, you will not be able to handle all that life throws your way. That's number one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. The second thing and the third thing not to do in a gym it says here in our text in verse five, do not make light of the discipline. And then thirdly, do not lose heart. And I put them together here because they're actually polar opposites. To make light of something downplays the, their effects. And I'm sure in gym culture, this happens, right? You, you try to impress other people. One time, a friend of mine invited me to a spin class, which is basically stationary bikes. And this particular place, it was sort of an amphitheater. Um, and you go in, it's dark, there's a screen, and you're competing against other people. But there's incredible pressure as you're competing to not look like you're trying, to make light of this, to be stoic. And so there's a tendency for some of us that when hardships happen, when people ask how we're okay, we're like, we're fine. Everything's all right. I'm doing all right. We downplay it. I'm okay. You're okay. We're good. Of course, the opposite reaction is to lose heart, that you're so hurt, that you're so overwhelmed, that you feel as if you're paralyzed, that you can't do anything else. There are a lot of people uh, in our church today that I need to point this out, that the hardships of life have made them lose heart. And when you lose heart, you know what happens? You can't see past your own needs. You can't see past yourself. And when that happens, you're unable to enter anybody else's hurts and needs. So many people I know, they don't reach out to other individuals because they don't feel like they have the bandwidth to reach out to them. That's part of that is the macro level. We live in a now a victimization culture. Every, it's everybody else's fault for whatever's happening to me. But on a micro level, the truth is, is that we're just so focused on our own lives. We're not focused on anybody else's lives. That's it. But how can then we not, how will we ever live out the greater calling that Christians are given to be salt and light, to go out, to be for the redemption and restoration of all creation, to go into every sphere of life where we see brokenness and to apply God's kingdom into that area? How will we ever be able to do that if we're so tired, if we're so dried up, if we're so dismayed with ourselves that we don't have the bandwidth for it? I've read some recent studies about this. That in, it's interesting that in every economic echelon, in every class, it doesn't matter what absolute monetary value you own, everybody more or less feels like they don't have enough to be generous. In every class, they don't feel like that I, I, they have enough to give away because we personally don't feel like we have enough. This is called losing heart, unable to handle what life throws our ways. And so 
if we want to get, you know, zoom out again, traditional cultures tend to overvalue and overpush the stoic response to hardships with um, minimizing those stresses. But then modern culture, because of our stress on individualism, when suffering comes, we overstress the hurts and cares, and therefore we lose heart. But either way misses what God, the Father, might be offering us through the gym of life. That this is not lost time. This is not something to necessarily avoid. That the hardships of life are not good. They're not okay. We don't want them. They're bad. But now that they're here, with the true Father by our side, we don't have to respond with a stiff upper lip, nor do we have to embellish them and lose heart. Neither response will allow you to handle the hurts and cares of this world. So don't do those things in the gym of life. All right. Now, if those are the three things what not to do, what should we do in the gym? Well, one thing that I've done when I've gone to gyms, the few times I've gone, is nothing. In college, there was a a gym on our campus, and I'd go to the gym with every intention to do some sort of activity, and I would do some, like, you know, light stretches and and then I'd check my phone I'd see some friends over there hey what's going on ponder life and then what do you know the time nothing happens so you can go to a gym and do nothing but in contrast to that verse 11 here says if you train I'll read it to you it says no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest translation No pain, no gain. Suffering in the gym, done well, actually strengthens you. Of course, when you are going through the suffering, it doesn't feel like you're being strengthened, right? If you do weights, every push, every lift that weight actually makes you feel weaker. But the key is even though you feel like you're getting weaker, you're actually getting stronger. What's the first thing that you should do in the gym when you enter? The first thing is you should allow the process that will make you weaker at first, Realize it'll actually make you stronger. All the hurt right now, if you let it, will show you that there is nothing more that you should do. There's nothing more important in your life than you should do than to throw yourself into his arms. It should remind you of what actually matters. That it's not about making a name for yourself. It's not about making more stuff. It's not about acquiring more stuff. It's not about the comforts and cares of this world. Only him matters. To put this in reverse, you need to strip away anything and everything that is weighing you down from knowing who you are and who he is. Verse 1 alludes to this. It says, throw off everything that might hinder you from running the race. And the Greek word here is the allusion towards an athlete who needs, who needs to take off any item of clothing that's going to slow them down. If you're going to run a race, you don't wear full-on Um, winter gear. If you're going to swim in a meet, you don't jump in with pants and a t-shirt on. No, you need to have the proper attire to wear to be able to handle the race, the suffering, uh, the hurt that's going to come. I talked to a pastor a couple months ago when the pandemic first hit and I asked him, I said, what are you doing right now? He goes, well, in my prayer life, I'm asking, I'm asking God every day what might you be trying to show me about myself through this and what might you be trying to show me about yourself 
And when he said that, it was like a light bulb popped. I was like, that's it. That when things are going good, you can't see your idols. That you can't see your excesses. You can't see your needs. It's only when things go bad. Now's the time to ask ourselves, where are the weaknesses that might be pointed out by God that I couldn't see when things were good, but now I can? Where are my blind spots? Where are the things that have kept me at bay from actually fully and completely throwing myself on him? That I can't do this without you. See, at the gym, you need to evaluate the muscle groups that you need to work out. You need to see where the problems are. Is it, is it your arms? Is it your legs? Is it your back? That you need to do the necessary strengthening now, but to do that, you first have to take an honest evaluation. When was the last time you actually sat back and said, where are my weaknesses, spiritually speaking? Where are they? And I know nobody here is too vain to say you don't have the weaknesses. And so you have to acknowledge that. And then you have verse 12 here saying, is it the feeble arms? Is it the weak knees? So once you admit you have something, then what are they? That assessment is so important to the process because you won't start working on these issues until you first know that they need to be worked on in the first place. But in the gym, you can see these weaknesses through the stresses and hurt of this life. And so when suffering actually happens, it's the perfect opportunity to ask what God might be showing me about myself. Where's the trouble? Where have the muscles atrophied? Is it the trust muscle, uh, you know, in, in, in his promises? Is it the resilience muscle? Is it the plunging yourself into his word muscle? Is it I've been negligent of my spiritual life muscle? See, where in your life is God on the sidelines and not at the center of your life? Wherever that weakness is, it's not going to let you run the race. Find it. It's the first thing you have to do. The second thing, once you've taken an honest assessment of yourself, build a plan. Build a plan for when you're there. I've been told when you go to gyms, you're supposed to actually come with a plan. How many exercises? How many repetitions? I've never done that in my life, which is not saying much. But if verse 4 says struggle and resist, and verse 7, endure, these active words assume that life is going to throw these hardships and you're going to feel weaker But if you do the exercises properly, you'll get stronger. The suffering and trials of the gym is how you'll know your limitations. What exact push-ups that you should be doing? How many reps? What are your limitations? And if you knew that, then you'll know exactly what you can and can't do in that gym. I can push myself this far, but not that far. Maybe next week I can come back and do it again. When life has stripped you down, you can't hide those flaws anymore. You need to know, have a plan ready to get to, to handle them, though. But it's in the gym when they're all laid bare. Isn't it interesting that um, most clothing that we have, that we wear, is made to hide our deformities? If you're a socky person, you wear slimming clothes. But then when you go to the gym, everybody's wearing very revealing clothes, which I guess part of that is because even if you don't wear those, if you're, if you're um, you know, wearing very baggy clothes, you start lifting or working out, it's laid bare anyway, what you have or not have under those clothes. And so what you need to do is, <clears throat> you need to see that if you build a proper plan and you prepare, you'll be able to handle whatever life throws you next. Do you and can you look at your hardships through this lens? 
because this is the way to handle the hurts. This is the way to become people of faith that can bear up under fearful times. It's that when suffering comes, if you have no larger meaning in your life than just your individual happiness, you're going to run away as soon as suffering comes because you're going to try to protect that happiness. Only if suffering, even if we don't necessarily have the full reasons for why it's happening, but um, we know that's not outside the bounds of God's discipline and work, then when suffering happens, meaning isn't destroyed. In fact, it is enhanced because going through the trials and the hurts and the cares, when we don't shy away, we don't shy away from it, but we resist and we endure and we struggle like this author here is saying, it's in that moment that, that we might feel weak, we're actually getting stronger, we're actually growing. Put it this way, the people least able to help other people, they're the least things to say in the world are the people who have suffered the least. People who haven't suffered are the most shallow. And when you're shallow, you have nothing to say. It's over and over and over again. The people in my life that have hurt the most, that have been through the trauma, that have been through the incalculable sufferings, they not only have the most to say to other people who are hurting, but they have the depth of character and the fortitude and the vision to speak into the people with meaning and depth. And so what this gym is offering you is that growth potential. Will you let the hurts of this world develop you into a person of character or will you run away from that plan and process? That's the great question we should be asking this pandemic. Will you allow the gym of life to show you your limits, what you can and can't do, and then apply yourself in these places or will you burn out or burn up because you actually haven't done the right discipline and how to handle these things. You need to know what to do in the gym. Now, last point, how do we do it well? The most important way to go to the gym of life is to become people who can handle anything, to stay, to fix, to redeem, to be people that have the bandwidth to care, as we've said, to move out and love and serve people, the way the writer says you're going to get this is in verse 2, that you fix your eyes on Jesus. See, the weight of the world might be uh, hanging on your head. It might be pushing you down. The, the hurts might be weighing you down. But the author here is saying, fix your eyes. There's, there's this imagery of looking up to Jesus. Because why? Because here we're told he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. How do we know that he did it? Because we're told for the joy set before him that he endured the cross and the shame. So I could put this as bluntly as possible. If he handled the race set before him, if he endured infinitely more hurt, shame, and hardship for you, remembering that, fixing our eyes on that, now there's nothing that you can't get through life. See, how do we know if we have actually a good father disciplining us? How do we know that we can trust his care? It's because Jesus did it first. That if the race before you was a race never run by anybody else, we would never know how to pace ourselves, how fast to go, when was it going to end, where do I need to go? But we have one who ran it already. We, we, not only did he run the race, he won the race. He did it first, and he could do it because of the joy set before him, the prize motivating him to keep going when all else felt lost. You have to ask yourself, what was that thing? 
What was the thing that was motivating him? It was, was it more money? No, he had all the money. Was it glory? He had all the glory. Was it the universe? He had the universe. The only thing that he didn't have that would have been motivating for him to go on was you. You were the joy set before him. You, when he had everything else, but what he didn't have was you. That is what he got for dying the death that we should have died and for living life that we should have lived. That death substitutes his life for our life. He gets what we deserve, so now we get what he deserves. And if he loved you like that, you know what? If you knew that and you felt that, then you would love him like that. Dwell, think, feel, know that the adoration that he had for you when now when you suffer, now when we run, we might not know where it's going to end. We might not know how it's coming and why it's coming, but we know it ends in him and it's finished in him. So we have to pray, dear Lord, if I am the joy set before you, make you the joy set before me. I might not know why this is happening. I might not know how or when we're going to make it, but I do know you and that is enough. If I can give you a couple practical steps from here, as I said earlier, go back and assess, go back to your gym plan, see where your weaknesses are, evaluate, is it in prayer, is it in Bible, is it pouring yourself out in service and deeds for the care and love of others? Suffering is coming, suffering has come, and unless you're prepared, you're not going to be able to handle it, but you can start making those plans now. You're already in the gym. Secondly, though, know that you can't Know what you can and can't handle. Know your limitations. That you know who he is and he's with there, He's with you in there so you can go to him in the good and plenty and also in the want and hurt. If he died for you, you know he wants to hear from you. So put these plans in action only to the amount that you feel like you can. Redeem restore, rest, redeem, restore, rest. That's our cycle. That's what's left. He's won the race so we can run it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a good word. Um, It's a good, Father, for, for some of us, it feels, putting this into gym analogies, it just feels like a lot harder, but I know, Obviously, you were talking to people that were under incredible sufferings and hurts. And you were able to use this kind of language to kind of help them see that the hurts and cares are only for a moment, Father. Um, but in the end, it'll, it'll, Father, this will all be over. We'll be able to handle it. And turn us into individuals that are salt and light that can move out because we have the bandwidth to do it because we're not just so self-focused. We see that you've run and that you've won the race, so now we can run, already knowing the outcome. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.